0: Our study in the Gospel of Matthew has been showing us who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And in this section of primarily Matthew chapter 10, we get to see Jesus sending out his disciples on what we typically call a limited commission. Now it's called that because... Jesus tells his disciples to strictly stay within the boundaries of Israel and to only preach to the lost sheep of Israel. The time to spread that message would come a little bit later. And so that's why it's called the limited commission sometimes in our headers of our Bible. And yet there is a lot of important pictures of not only who Jesus is, but how he visualized the mission and how he taught his disciples to carry out the mission of being sent. And so uh, for the Sunday night lessons for the next three weeks, we'll be in Matthew and we're going to be looking at these three passages, uh, these three different paragraphs from Matthew chapter 10, and talking about this picture of being sent. And the lesson tonight is we're going to notice that the first aspect or quality is that uh, a calling to be sent compassionately. Notice how this begins really in chapter 9 and verse 35. And then we'll uh, carry it on into chapter 10 as we move through the lesson. But Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 begins, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction there's probably not a better summary of the mission of jesus and what we have seen him do in the past nine chapters is he is going through the cities and villages he is teaching in the synagogues he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and he is healing diseases and healing afflictions this sets the table of what it is all about and what his mission is but i want you to notice what it says next in verse 36 when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I think this is an interesting insight into how Jesus looked at his work and looked at the people for whom he came to save. When, when Jesus saw the crowds, it doesn't say that he was filled with disgust. He didn't look at the crowds and go, my stomach is just turning. Look at these wretched, sinful people. How can I bear to be here much longer? And look at how terrible things are. He doesn't look at the people in that way. And he doesn't come and see the crowds and go, well, I need to stay as far away from these people as possible. But to think about the, the mentality and the heart of Jesus, when he saw the crowd, the thing, the emotion, the feeling, was compassion. He looked at all the sinners and he looked at the people of the world and those who were before him and he had compassion for them. And I think that's a, a, a beautiful picture. Why was he having this compassionate point of view? Why did he see it that way? And the reason why that's given for us, the ESV reads that they were harassed and helpless. Some translations say distressed and Downcast. The reason they attempt alliteration is because the Greek has alliteration, so they're trying to hold that together. That you're getting that idea of Jesus looks at the crowd, and what he sees is that they are helpless. They see that they're downcast. They see that they are distressed. They see that they're harassed, and therefore you have Jesus having compassion on them. And I want you to notice then that his solution to that is to give them the gospel. That's their greatest need. In seeing that they have a problem, in seeing they're harassed and helpless and distressed and downcast, the solution that he has is that he wants to give them the gospel. That's the thing that's going to be the life-changing salvation for them because they are in that condition. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. The solution... For the world is the gospel. The solution for the problems and maladies of life is the gospel. The solution for being harassed and helpless and downcast and distressed is the gospel. That's what Jesus is doing. He's going into city after city and he looks at them and he is moved with compassion because he sees their condition. He sees that they're harassed and helpless and he's going to give them the solution. Now, before we go anywhere in the lesson, I think we just have to step back and think, well, how do we look at people? And what do we think they need? How do we look at a group of people? How do we look at the sinners of the world? And do we look at people with the same kind of mentality and emotion and feeling that Jesus has for people? Do we look at them and realize the reason why they do what they do and the reason why they're far from God is because they're harassed and helpless, distressed and downcast? I think that's all the more true in the world that we live in. Most people now have not been given the moral compass of Jesus. They're confused, or to be literal to the picture, they're lost. They're absolutely spiritually lost. They are confused. They are helpless. They are distressed. They are downcast. And they are trying to find answers in all the wrong places. And the answer, the solution to the need, is the gospel. This is the thing that is to be able to change their lives and help them in that condition. But we have to check ourselves and consider how do we look at people? Are we disgusted? When we look at sinful people, are are we moved to anger or hatred? Do we lack compassion? And that's especially true with the kinds of sinning that is becoming even all the more promoted in our society. That we almost develop a, I'm going to have a skin crawling feeling toward people. Rather than observing, we need to have compassion because they are completely lost. And as far as the world continues to push away from what, in our minds, as we understand the gospel, are obvious truths and obvious right and wrong and obvious morals and push further and further away, to have an understanding that they don't know that. They don't have that grounding. And they're confused. And they're helpless. And they're distressed and they're looking for joy and satisfaction in all the wrong places. I, I think of that in some of the things that are happening in the world today that can be so shocking that one of the things that I think that can help us with that compassion is just to think how, how sad it is that you have to do so much damage to your life to supposedly find happiness you are in this pursuit of joy and satisfaction and happiness, and you can't see that it's all through wreckage that you think you're going to finally get there. And that's why I think the wording of what, what, the, what Matthew gives for us, of what Jesus sees is fascinating. Truly harassed and distressed and helpless and downcast, completely confused, completely lost. And Jesus looks upon the crowd in that way, and he has compassion Obviously, that doesn't mean that Jesus overlooked their sins and go, well, I have compassion and so we'll walk away. That, that's kind of our definition of compassion in our world. If you have compassion for somebody, you don't say anything, you don't do anything, you just you know sh- don't say anything. Obviously, Jesus doesn't do that. He has compassion for the people, which is the motivation for the proclaiming of the gospel. It's that compassion and what he sees in people that he wants to give them the solution to their problem. And that has to be the motivation that we see in ourselves as well as as we look at people and see harassed and helpless and lost. That there's a compassion within us that only motivates us all the more to want to share the good news because that is the only solution. There is no other answer. There is no other help. They will continue to be harassed and helpless and lost and downcast and confused and go further and further away unless the gospel is the thing that's given to them. And Jesus understood that. And you see him doing that here. In fact, what a great picture in verse 36. They're like sheep without a shepherd. What a great picture of what our world looks like. People just completely wandering all over the place and have no idea where straight is, where up is, and where down is. They are just lost and confused and gone. And Jesus looks at that and says, they don't have a shepherd. They need someone to teach them. They need someone to guide them. They need someone to have uh, give them the answer to that. Which leads, I think, to an important question in talking about who we are as God's people and the mission of, of what we are supposed to do is that we have to then constantly keep in mind Are we going to be, as the people of God who gather for worship in a place like this, a safe place where people who are harassed and helpless and lost and doing unthinkable things and and, and horrifying sins that we would look at, will it be a safe place for them to come and listen to the gospel week after week? Will we look at them and go, I have compassion for them because they need the gospel. And they need the ability to come here and to be able to enjoy the hospital that this is supposed to be, where the sick come in and find the solution to their spiritual problems. That is what I think Jesus is is ultimately doing. Will we be the safe place then? where people can come and hear the gospel? Will we be the safe place? Because we as the people of God are supposed to be that spiritual hospital and allow people to do that. We cannot be disgusted by those kinds of things. It was... when, when Andy was here last year and um, preaching in our lectureship, and just by crazy coincidence, one of his friends from a super long time ago, I believe in high school, somehow was now living out here. And through social media he had posted he was here and so they arranged to get together and talk and she'd gone very far away from the morals of God. She's currently was in a uh, living with another woman. And so was meeting with with her. And so he came back to the house and or actually it was right before he went to the, went and said, Is it gonna be a safe place here for me to invite them to come that tonight at the lectures? And I said, Yes, it will be. You tell them to come. And you may not have known this, they did. And they were both here, and they both sat there in the back, side by side. And They quickly left because I know they were certainly uncomfortable. But we have to think, are we going to be the safe place so that people can come in and hear the gospel? Or are we going to draw lines and be disgusted and say, no, they can't be here. We have to have the compassion that you see Jesus having, that there are people who are helpless and harassed and downcast and distressed. They are confused and they are lost. And we have to be the people who say, and this is where you need to be. We have the solution. We have the only thing that will help you. We have to be the givers of that. And so Jesus is showing that right here. In fact, that's the very thrust of where he goes in verse 37. Notice what happens next, verse 37. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I think this is also interesting. The first thing that you see Jesus seeing is he looks at the crowds and he sees people who are distressed and downcast, like sheep without a shepherd. And notice the second thing that he sees. He says, here's what I'm also seeing. He says, I see a plentiful harvest. He says, I look around and I see that there are all kinds of people who are ready to hear the gospel. I see all kinds of people because they are sheep without a shepherd and because they are helpless and harassed, that the gospel is ready for them. I see a plentiful harvest available to them. And so I want you to think about, even in that idea of of looking at our world, how true that is. Think about our community or even think about the crazy things you see on the news. The harvest is, is, is plentiful. There is so much to do. There are so many opportunities, so much need of people who are harassed and helpless. But notice that what you see Jesus saying in verse 37, even though the harvest is plentiful, he makes the point and says there's a problem. And the problem is there's not a lot of workers. So we can look out and see the problem and observe that there's a need for compassion. There's a need for these helpless people and that there is this plentiful harvest. But then he makes a, a, a very important point and says the problem is there's not a lot of people who want to do that work. There's not a lot of a lot of people who want to engage that harvest. And engage that on the spot and say, I'm going to be the one who goes in and deals with all of that. And I'm not talking about preachers and elders and stuff. I just mean looking at it and saying, I have opportunities. That I have neighbors and friends and co-workers and acquaintances and people that I rub elbows with and people in the community. And seeing it in terms of here are people who are harassed and helpless, who are in need of, of a shepherd, who are in need of guidance. And Jesus is pointing out the issue is not a lot of people want to say something. Not a lot of people want to do anything about it. So thus, thus he says in verse thirty thirty eight. 38, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. So he says, I, I see all kinds of opportunities. I'm not disgusted by what I see. I have compassion for what I see. And the first thing I want you to do is to pray for more people to be willing to engage those people. To be willing to talk to them, to be willing to go into the harvest, to be a worker in that in that very effort. And I think that is such a neat picture because I think it is interesting that Jesus does not look at the crowds and and go, well, this is hopeless. He doesn't look at it and go, well, you know, we're doomed. (laughs) He looks at it and says, this is a thing that is reversible. We can engage the community. We can engage people. And this is something that, that can be done so that people can hear the gospel in this situation of this harvest without workers can now be reversed, that more workers will go in and bring in those opportunities. And I think it is interesting that Jesus does not say, the problem is the harvest. Sometimes we want to think of it that way. We want to think the problem is the harvest. And Jesus says the problem's not the harvest. He says the problem is the lack of workers. That's the problem. The problem is the unwillingness to engage. And I think that's particularly important in our day and time is that he doesn't tell these disciples, well, I want you to see how the, the dark abyss of wickedness that these people are. And you need to go huddle up and hide in some small area so that you can, you know, quietly burn your light together and keep yourself morally pure from the darkness that's encroaching. That's not his point of view, is it? His point of view is to engage that, to be light all the more. My wife, April, here cracks me up all the time as we talk about these kinds of things. And she'll say something to the effect of, because, yeah, what we need is more lights all being joined together in one spot, running away from the darkness. That's really going to (laughs) help. As we see the darkness, we need to have more light going out. Not lights running away and all having, I mean, who takes lamps and put them all to get, stack them in one spot? You do that in your room all the time, right? In your house, all your lamps are in one spot. That's pretty useless. But that's the way we sometimes think about the mission. We're going to jam all the lights in one little spot and we'll all be, be okay right here. Well, you have to put the lights all throughout the house. We have to send the lights all throughout this harvest if we're going to be effective to the work. And so, why are the workers few? It's interesting that Jesus says that harvest is plentiful. Why are the workers few? And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think Jesus has already put his finger on on one of them is sometimes we just don't have compassion for people. It's easy not to have that. And I think in our culture right now that's a growing situation. That we no longer care about people. We care about ourselves. We care about our schedule, our circumstances, our stuff. We just take care of ourselves. We don't worry about anybody else. And so that's why you see all the collateral damage in our society as you live a life where you only care about yourself. That's obviously problematic. And we can't adopt that kind of thinking. We cannot adopt a thinking that we do not care about the souls of others and not have compassion for the souls of others. We must desire to, to reach out to them And thus, why we lack that that care and that compassion, sometimes I think is because we can just become so content in our lifestyles. We live in such a prosperous, comfortable society. And I'm glad for that. I I enjoy my couch and I enjoy the comforts that we enjoy. But that can keep us from having the care and compassion for others because we just become so comfortable in our own schedules and our own lives as we take care of our Mondays through Fridays. And we don't think about other people. We don't think about their spiritual needs. We just think about our own. And Jesus says, I'm looking out and I'm seeing a harvest, but sometimes we forget to have that kind of care and compassion. And I think sometimes this can happen is that we even can get content with our own group. We all like each other. We're all happy with each other and we don't want anybody out there messing that up, (laughs) right? So we're all good. (laughs) Everybody's nice here. We can have the tendency to think, well, if we're all fine, we don't need anybody else, right? And that can especially be the case as as like a building uh, fills with people and you can think, oh, we're very comfortable and everything is great and not think that we just need to keep having more and more. And so uh, why are the workers few? I think the lack of compassion can really be true because we can just... Become too content in this world and too content with our lives, too content ultimately in our circumstances, which makes the next paragraph really interesting. You know, I like to tell you bad chapter breaks. Yeah, here's another one. Uh, Here's this ending and talking about, you know, praying that there would be laborers and workers who would go into the harvest. But notice what's the very next thing that happens in chapter 10 and verse one. Jesus calls him to him, the 12 disciples and gives them authority over the unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal disease and every affliction. And then there's the name of names of the 12 apostles. He t- his interest says, I have compassion for the people that I see. They're distressed and downcast. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Number one, pray for more workers And then the very next line is, I'm going to make you the answer. I want you to pray for more workers and you be the solution. And he just says, you, you 12, here you go. You're going to go and do this work. You, you're designated without authority to go out and you're going to proclaim this, this good news. And he gives them instructions on what's going to happen. In verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the, laborers, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your word, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Interesting thing that you see is he just gives them the authority to go out and do this work. You are now going to carry out the mission. You are going to accomplish the task. And so don't only pray for workers, but be the answer. Be the solution. Pray for more workers, absolutely. But don't sit back and go, I sure wish there were more people out there doing something in this condition of the darkness that's out there. And I sure see all these these, uh, people who are harassed and helpless and like sheep without a shepherd. I sure hope somebody does something about this but pray for it and then be the answer to. And I love that's exactly what G- Jesus does here is he sends them into the field. And I want you to notice how he sends them. I think it is, it is something, I don't know why this hasn't hit me more frequently, but it certainly struck me all the more as we've gone through the gospel of Matthew and especially here, is that the authority that Jesus ultimately gives are things that are going to help people. You ever thought about that with the miracles of Jesus and the apostles? Like, you know, they never shot fireworks out of their finger and went, see, look, I'm from God. <laughs> you know? They never did something that was like this, ooh, neat, wow factor. Watch, I can fly. You know, look, that must show I'm from God. You know, they break the laws of the universe in ways that helped people. And that's what you see being given here. They're given authority over unclean spirits, casting them out, healing disease and and affliction. You see that in verse eight as well. Healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, casting out demons. And all of this is to show the compassion of God is that here are people and he sees them as helpless and harassed and hurting and and, and downtrodden. And the miracles that he performs were never for himself. Look, I can levitate, therefore I'm God, but he heals people. And says, I'm the solution to your problem. I'm the one who's giving you what you need. And so the miracles convey that, that here is the one who can heal us of all of our ailments. He can take away our spiritual problems and be the solution that we need. He is that good news for us. And that's what Jesus is doing. And these 12 would carry out that mission as well, which leads to that, that second half of the things that you see. And there's ultimately two responses that are given. But before I talk about these two responses, I have to have a soapbox aside. And every time, sometimes a sermon needs a, so, a, a, a tangent soapbox. And this is one of them right here that I want to zero in on verse eight for a that Before we talk about these two responses that he talks about, It is interesting to me that he describes this and says, you received without pain, give without pay. Or some translations, freely you have received, freely give. I wouldn't think that we would have to say this, but I'm becoming that old, grumpy old man who's been around long enough to be able to see enough crazy things in life to begin to scratch my head and go, really, this is where we're going in this world? But friends... Let me, I believe, state the obvious that the gospel message is not a business. It's not a business. And the church is not a money making machine. That's not why we're here. That's not why we exist. The gospel message is always to be free. I am stunned. That I am finding out from among our own brethren. (laughs) Gathering preachers together in kind of like a lectureship gospel meeting and selling tickets to go to that. And not simply to recover cost, but truly as a business model. You have been given something for free. You are to give it back for free. And the gospel is not something that we make a business out of. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you are welcome to be an entrepreneur, but not with the gospel. This is something that should always be for free. And the person that I'm aware of with that said he even asked the person who was organizing this and said, if I pay all of your costs, will you then make the event free? And he said, no. That's really not why I'm doing that. And kudos to my friend. He dropped out of being asked in that and said, I'm not doing this then if that's what you're doing. Ah, we live in a time where people are about how can we make money in any way possible? We can be superstars on podcasts and make piles of money and use the gospel as the tool. And friends, we need to watch out because the we are not supposed to be capitalizing on the gospel In any way whatsoever, and I love that you see that here. Listen, you're going to go out, and you're just going to do what you need to do. Freely, you have been given the good news, and so you are going to also give. The good news freely as well. Now, I mentioned there are two things here. Then these two responses. You can sometimes be thrown about the idea of it. Talks about if someone is worthy, if the house is worthy, or the town is worthy or unworthy. What do they mean by that? What do you say you come into a house and the house is is, is saying uh, they're they're worthy or not? But the idea really is very simple. The idea of worthiness is that they were going to welcome and listen. And so here you they come in and you are telling them the gospel and they receive that then you can put peace on that house that is keep talking to them keep telling them the good news keep explaining to them about the kingdom of god tell them what what i've come to do but those who are who are not going to receive those who are unworthy is the idea they're not going to welcome that message and you'll notice that jesus says to them i don't want you to get stuck there if you come to people who do not want to hear this message, he doesn't say just, you know, plant your tent for for a week there and just wear them out. He said just shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next town. And the reason I think that's important is because it's not strictly confined to this limited commission because you see the Apostle Paul do the very same thing in Acts chapter 13. When the city rejects him and throws him out and says, We're not going to have anything to do with you, we're going to kill you, he shakes the dust off his feet in Acts chapter 13 and he goes to the next city. And that's the idea is if they are willing to listen, then just keep letting them listen and keep teaching them and have compassion and patience to keep teaching and teaching and teaching and let them learn and let them hear and let them respond and let them keep doing that. It's only when they say, I'm not gonna hear this anymore. Okay, then I'm gonna move on. I'm not gonna get stuck there. I'm gonna move on then. And that's what you see Jesus telling his disciples to do in this commission that that he gives to them. So if the people listen, keep working with them. If the people will not listen, then move on to others who will because the harvest is plentiful. So let's bring this home for tonight's lesson in talking about being sent compassionately. The scriptures are filled with this image, this picture of the mission that we have. There are lots of places I'd love to like Back this up, but I'm just going to use one, and I'm going to maybe use a text that might be surprising to talk about our mission. And that's from Isaiah 61. I love this passage. We often know the first three verses really well, and we'll read that in just a minute, but then stop because the quotation often stops there. And miss ultimately what we're supposed to be doing in the process. So let's start with it in Isaiah chapter uh, 61, and the first three verses. instead of a faint spirit you might recognize those first few sentences remember in Luke 4 Jesus stands up in the synagogue unrolls Isaiah and reads that uh, then put gives the scroll back and says this has been fulfilled in your hearing that, that that's me that's what that was talking about but I want you to notice what is said about this so here is Christ he has come And notice what he's doing. It talks about comforting those who mourn, granting to those who mourn this beautiful headdress instead of ashes, giving them gladness instead of mourning, giving them praise instead of a faint spirit. Why is Jesus doing this? Keep reading. That they, us, may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. but you shall be called, called priests of the Lord. And they shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. That's us. That's the role. That's the mission. He says... You've been made oaks of righteousness. You're the planting of the Lord so that God is glorified. Well, how is God going to be glorified? By going into the ancient ruins and rebuilding the spiritual walls of the city to be the Nehemiah that we've just got done studying. And to be able to go and assess the situation and say, we are going to do this great work. And we are going to accomplish a task of repairing the ruined cities and the devastations. Uh, Of many generations that we would be called the priests of the Lord and we would be spoken of as the ministers of God that people would see us in that light because that is what the mission is all about. We have been sent to do this. So here's my one of two big points. One is this. If we don't have compassion for the lost, we're never going to complete the mission we've been assigned. If we don't care, then we won't be priests of God and we won't be ministers and we won't stand as oaks of righteousness and we won't repair the ancient ruins. We won't be going about the task if we don't care. We have to have a compassion for the lost. We have to have that great desire. And so here's a big question. So how can we have that compassion? How can we have that care for for people? And I'll give you a very simple answer that we remember that Jesus looked at us with compassion as well. That's all we have to keep in mind is that we are grateful that Jesus was not disgusted by our sins. He didn't look at us and go, well, boy, that's too much. That's, That's too gross. That's too bad. He didn't look at us in that way. He wasn't angry with us, but was moved with compassion to such a degree that he came down and saved us as Nathan did so well for the Lord's Supper talk, the humility of Jesus to see our problem and lower himself so that we could have that solution. That's our mission. We lower ourselves to reach those who are lost. We have compassion for them because God has had compassion upon us. And therefore, the second point is this. The problem's not with the harvest. The problem's with the lack of workers. And that we need to pray for workers, and then we need to be the answer to that prayer. I'd encourage us to not run from the field, not run from the darkness, not run from the city, not run from all that is going on in our world today and think we need to run and hide and shelter our lights, but to all the more engage the community. And all the more shine as lights. Because the only way to reverse the darkness is to give the gospel. Nothing else will reverse it. Absolutely no one else and nothing else can reverse it. Let's be ambassadors for Christ. Let's be the priests and ministers of our God who are reaching out compassionately to bring people to Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, we praise you and stand in awe of your heart for us. Lord, it is hard to believe sometimes that you could look at sinful people like us and be moved with compassion. Lord, that you would see us in that light. Lord, thank you for not being revolted by our disgusting sins. And Lord, thank you for, rather than drawing far away from us, you came near. You came close to sinners. You sat in their homes. You ate with them. You spent time with them. You are an amazing God. God, I pray that you would give us the same heart, give us the same compassion. Help us to see that people around us are helpless and harassed, that they are distressed and downtrodden, and they need you as a shepherd. Give us the courage to point them to you, and give us the care and compassion to open our mouths and to point the way to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song. We want you to come to Jesus tonight. And I hope that you see in him how desperately he wants you to be with him, how much he wants you to be a child of his. Call us for you to turn away from your sins and to live a life for Jesus with all of your heart. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, having your sins washed away so that you can start that relationship with him and walk with him until he calls you home. Can we help you do that? Won't you come while we stand and while we speak?